Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good evening. Welcome to Sugar and Silk. My name is Ben Doughty. My name is Michael Silkalajide, the man with the really cool background. Yeah, we've been working on logistics. That's literally what we spent the last uh, 10 minutes on. Logistics, of course, are the plague of the podcast business, Michael. Uh, yes. Not least, I can't help noticing that you're not Aaron Barkley. You never were, and never has it been more kind of painfully apparent. And um, <laughs> and we don't have the we don't have the fabulous fighting Hiltons either, which we very much hope to have. That yes. was the, those would be a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, quite honestly. But no, the uh, the Hiltons, I believe they were they were waylaid and and need to do it hopefully next Sunday. And with Iran, it was just this is the problem, isn't it? With you think it's definitely something which afflicts fighters more commonly than just regular Joes <laughs> when you're trying to get. Yeah, them to I think, I think anything that, re- that anything that comes even remotely close to common everyday things we have to do in life, there's more things that boxers and I was on myself were just not used to doing. So it's all about how you adjust after you finish boxing, and there's things you know that we just kind of don't put them onto the level of importance that we want them to be, or that that you and I want them to be, but. But, you know, they've been there, they've been at the top and everyone's, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just difficult. That t- It's a different type of discipline. Let's put it that way. It's a different I type remember, of discipline. I remember what a, what a hard time we had getting Michael Nunn on, although he persevered. But it's, you know, yes. you see a man who is a ring genius who can just do things so effortlessly that don't even yes. make sense that a person could do. But yeah. sometimes it's like climbing Mount Everest just to, 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 to get a link to work yeah. and to get on. But yeah. regardless, yeah. Well, Iran forward, will admit I'm... right away. Iran said the first thing to me, I spoke to him today, and he said the first thing to me is getting on the internet. I know nothing about it. And so you sent me the instructions in very easy details. But sometimes it's just, you know, taking the initiative is hard. It's like just thinking in that way, you know, critical thinking. <laughs> it's like just thinking in that way is difficult because it's not something you do every day. It's just somebody else does it for you and you know when you have to do it for yourself it is difficult it's daunting it's like one of those things you just like oh man here we go like i'm you know fighters were were primitive beings it's like it's all about this you know and if it's not that then it's peace yeah well i mean i used to be a complete utter technophobe i didn't get i didn't get email until pretty late 1999 was pretty late for someone my age and um (laughs) And um, I'd never had a mobile phone until 2003. 
and it was just wow. one of them things. So it's it's mm -hmm. ironic in a way that I became so social media savvy, independent, and adherent, you know. But I like to say hello to a few people in the house. We've got Paul Driscoll, Ellen K. Bromson, legendary Ellen K. Bromson, who's an attorney in law. And I think mm -hmm. one of our biggest fans, one of my biggest fans, certainly, and I'm sure she likes you as well, um, Simon Simon Willis, um, who's, I think we just spoke to him. He's just, just giving us a supportive comment. Michael, in any case, pressing on to matters more important. Um, yes, sir. Last night, saw Canelo Alvarez scored yes. a wide unanimous decision over the gutsy John Ryder. It mm -hmm. was a one-sided fight, and probably the most, the story of the fight such as it was, was, was that, Ryder was made of sterner stuff than perhaps some previous Canelo foes. And even though he was bloodied and battered and, 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 and flawed pretty heavily in round five, he dug in. He, he Wasn't he floored twice? Right. Say again? Wasn't he floored twice? Uh, yeah, but one of them was called a slip, actually, Michael. We were, which I didn't know. It looked like a knockdown to me, I've got to be honest with you. Yeah. Still. But the, honestly, the referee, the referee called it um, like a slip or a stumble. Uh, it wasn't exactly a slip. And then um, the commentators, I think it was Sergio Mora and whoever the other guy was, and they said, oh, good call. Good call by the referee. He picked up on but, that. It looked like but, a knockdown. But, but, would he, but would he have slipped if, if Canelo's fist wouldn't have hit him? I very much doubt it. You know. it do you know what that reminds me of, Silk? Um, <laughs> when uh, Thomas Hearns claimed that he was pushed through the ropes by Sugar Ray Leonard in the 13th yeah. round, he said he was pushed. And the corner said he was pushed. Oh, really? And you, McIlvenny, yeah. the legendary scribe no longer with us, said, we can only hope we never encounter such pushing in a bus queue. And it's a bit like what you just said, right? Yes. Yeah, that would not, no, no. And not by Sugar Ray either. He hits you with violence, that kid. Yeah. So, you know, um, I don't know. Listen, it was never in doubt the result. And I didn't think, I mean, I know John Ryder. I, I used to know him well. I trained him as an amateur for like a, like a first year or something when he was an amateur. He's 15 years old. I sparred countless rounds with him between about 2003 and 2005. Mm -hmm. And so I got to know him then. And um, I didn't see, I've obviously watched his development ever since, and I didn't see what he had to beat Canelo Alvarez with. And I mm -hmm. think for me, the question merely was, would he go the distance or wouldn't he? And uh, what people have taken beyond that from the, from last night is, is confirmation of this idea that Canelo is on the slide and he may lose to a David Benavides and he's got very little hope against uh, Dimitri Bivol should he choose to have a rematch with him either at 168 or 175. Well, let's go let's go, let's go with this first. I, I, you know, the, before the bell even rang, they're looking at each other and, and uh, Ryder's looking down at his feet and Canelo's looking at him right in the eye. I don't understand how fighters do that. Why? I, I don't understand why you can't look at this individual who you're going to be having to look at for the next 35 minutes or 40 minutes of your life dead in the face i don't understand the psychology behind that looking down but, but looking away it's yeah. interesting it's interesting you should say that because sugar Ray leonard didn't look marvin hagler in the eye before they fought which is yeah but sugar uh, is being 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 a little sly sugar was yes. trying to, because angela dundee i know angela was very much like that oh give it to him let him think that da, 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 and then boom all about the surprise. nothing well yeah. that's because we we were in the closed circuit cinema and me and my dad said to the guys next to us that you become like long lost friends with when you know because you're boxing friends it's the small mm -hmm. hours of the morning you've got enough in common to be sitting there in the cinema at the small hours of the morning to you know to see this what could be the, the greatest fight of all time and um because of the uh some of the pessimism about sugar rice chances going in i remember my dad quipped watch out for the stare down it might be better than the fight and then obviously 
the surprise was that Leonard ca casually kind of looked at his shoes, just touched gloves, mm -hmm. but looked away. And, you know, I saw my young Cassius Clay when he fought Archie Moore. He did that too. Because I did mm -hmm. it in one of my amateur fights, literally, because I'd seen Cassius Clay do it on a VHS video <laughs> that we rented from the store the week before. Yeah. And I always used to eyeball my opponents when I was a kid, you know, thinking, oh, you've got to look nice and mean. But I saw yeah. Ali look, look, look the other way from Archie Moore and just touch gloves without even looking at it. Really contemptuously, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. see you in a minute, yeah. old man. And yeah. uh, so it's interesting that you say that sometimes there are reasons not to get involved in that kind of, kind of, you know, Benitez Leonard type kind of stare down, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There, there is, but but generally it's like like on this plane right here, or on this fight especially, it just seemed like a normal thing that he would do. I, I, I wouldn't think John Ryder was like a, a, he's not that type of individual. He doesn't play games. He's, he doesn't go that way. He just seems to be very much like, you know, a trial horse, workhorse type individual. He's going to give you everything he's got, and it may not. He may not be the most talented of individuals physically, but emotionally and psychologically and physically, he's going to give you a hundred percent of what he's got, and that you know, and do what he will with it. He is a very shy, retiring type character, though. I'm not suggesting he's going to retire, by the way. But um, after this, but he should have enough money, I hope. But um, no, but he's a very that. shy, inoffensive character. He always was a very quiet kid. And he wouldn't have any time for trash talk, certainly, or this kind of bad man type mm -hmm. behavior, posturing. So it might be something to do with that, Michael. Honestly. Okay, uh, you know, the the um, the dynamic of the fight itself. I know we're jumping off route a little bit, but the fight dynamic itself. They never, Ryder never seemed to get out of what I would think is first gear. I'd never seen him fight before, so maybe that's just the way he is. But he just seemed yeah. very persistent in doing one thing. There was no change up. There was no, there was no. Okay, you did this. This didn't work. Now try this. There was no. Uh, he's always been, he's possibly been a bit one paced always, and people okay. also cited his lack of a jab as a hindrance last night. He was fainting and threatening a lot. But he likes to he likes to throw the what some people call a backhand these days, you know, a straight left, and he mm. likes to get close, and he likes that sh very short uppercut on the inside and a chopping right hook, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but he didn't yeah. have much of a jab, right? But yeah, I didn't see any. Uh, I, I didn't see any passion in his punches. I, I saw like placement of punches, but I didn't see any punches that were looking to like out of, thrown out of anywhere, out of desperation at any point during the twelve rounds. Like he was trying to knock him out, like like. They're just different speeds you throw punches at, like a pitcher. A pitcher will throw a 60-mile-an-hour, a 90-mile-an-hour, 110, whatever it is, fastball, curveball, whatever. I didn't see any of that with him. And, and funny enough, I really didn't see it much with uh, Canelo either. And I think my, myself, I'm like, this seemed to me to be a glorified sparring match. Well, it, it was a bit. It was a little rough for a glorified sparring match. And the reason I would say that also – uh, in the context of last night is because Joshua Boatze, the up-and-coming light heavyweight from this side of the water, mm -hmm. who was trained by Virgil Hunter, he came back from a little bit of inactivity and a change of promoter. He, he defected from... He famously defected from Matchroom and Eddie Hearn because they offered mm -hmm. him something like a million a million pounds, I think it was, not dollars, mm -hmm. to fight Dimitri Bivol. And he mm -hmm. said, no, he refused it, said he wasn't ready, left Matchroom and signed with Boxer, Ben Shalom, which the, the, the uh, new relatively new promotional outfit that is showcased on Sky nowadays with, with Eddie being on the zone. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Eddie Hearn was saying, I think he's, you know, I think he's fucking mental, to be honest with you. We offer him that money. He said, it's mind boggling how someone turns down that money, you know, and if you believe in yourself and you've had a few, you know, you've had, you've had those kind of fights of learning fights, all the rest of it, you know, like spit or get off the pot. But um, he came back anyway and he fought a Polish uh, fella, um, decent. You call, you might call him a fringe contender or even that might be a little bit of a flattering description. But to be honest with you, um, he his ring rust was there. It was not an electrifying performance. And lots of people were saying, this is just like watching a spa. You know, it's like watching 10 rounds of sparring in the gym. Yeah. And I think that the, the Ryder Canelo fight was certainly rougher and more high intensity than that. With John covered in blood, at least, you know, and um, yeah, uh, well, the blood, 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 but, but the, blood part, the, the blood part definitely happens in sparring, too. <laughs> no doubt, don't get me wrong. Uh, but can Can never practice letting his punches go? Like, I, I almost thought like he had the luxury, like, if you're talking about it, he had the luxury body, but he had like a, a, a regular gas in the tank kind of thing. So, physically, he looked great, but his fuel was like you know it was like regular fuel there was nothing like there's no real fire behind his punches no real purpose nothing he did and i think the biggest change in canelo of old to canelo now is that he comes in and he and he's very much with the clam defense he locks up here he drops forward so he drops his ribs into his hips so he could take the body shots and counter yeah. so he's just looking for a shot he doesn't work like he used to he doesn't work he doesn't use his reflexes anymore he doesn't counter the counter like if someone counters him and then you come back, like Floyd did to him, he kind of started doing that to people afterwards. So, so he didn't yeah. he didn't counter any counters, and but it's not like it's not like the kid tried to counter him. Ryder didn't try to counter him anyway. And it, these are some of the frustrating things. This is why that that fight to me flatlined the whole way through. Every single round it was a flatline. That's why I mean when I say it was a sparring match because it's like okay. Um, these guys are going to like sneak punches in here, sneak punches in there, and, and Canelo's work rate is going to be a little bit higher. But you know, you, no angles. It wasn't working. To, like nobody was working to get the other guy out. Nobody said you're not going to go the distance with me. I'm going to try. Like you to were talking you about that mindset the other last couple of weeks, like with a Javante exactly. Davis, yes. for instance. Michaelo, Michaelo's on this, and he said that Ryder. Uh, through no combinations and no malicious plan of attack, and, and you can you. say almost that that's a, right. that might have applied to both of them to a degree. Natalie Blow, by the way, says, and I, th I can't underline this enough: sending stars supports the podcast. You can send stars now, the, uh, <laughs> and, and actually, trouble is, it's because this is live on my page. It's me that gets the money, so you may not want to. You probably don't want to bust your balls <laughs> too much in that account. But we can talk about that down the line if I start getting any. You know. Um, <laughs> We've been talking about this for a while. I, I know. I understand how it goes. Look, being a fighter, managers do that to their fighters. You know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you listen. I mean, you're used to being exploited, and I don't think I actually think yeah. it'd be What's something of a culture shock. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah. So, um, do you feel that Canelo is actually on the slide then, and do you think that could be mental as much as anything else? Well, I think I think it's I think it's a form of habit over many many years of. You know, uh, you get complacent after a while, and and your trainers, they everybody flatlines. Everything's good. You're beating these guys comfortably. Then he comes across with a guy like Bevel, who's different, and who's hungry, and who throws you know different types of pitches. He's a different type of style, and you think you're gonna beat him with the same old thing, and that's not gonna happen. 
what he needs, what what Canelo needs, he needs some new juice in his camp. He needs he may want to keep the guys who are with him, but he needs somebody to come in also and to and to approach things differently, especially if he's going to fight B-ball again. If he's going to have another fight against you know uh, you know against a, another uh, rider, then okay, so then you might get away with that because uh, at the same time, John Ryder didn't uh, obviously I thought didn't go to the go to the work go to the his workstation and say, this is the plan to beat, this is the plan to beat Canelo. I didn't see that in Ryder. I didn't say this is the plan to beat him. I saw this is the plan to, you know, to maybe like go the distance with him or to not get knocked out. I wouldn't even say that. I don't think he's that kind of guy, honestly. I just he wasn't just trying to survive. Think, he was doing Yeah, I think this was all the trainers' issues. The trainers yeah. didn't the trainers didn't do the right thing. It's not the fight. Fighters will do whatever you, the trainer wants them to do. The, the fighters absolutely reflect their trainers' plans. And I don't think the trainers had the right plan for him, basically is what I'm saying. Mike Ayala clarified, by the way, he was talking about Canelo. No no malicious plan of attack and no combinations. Yeah. Not right. Yeah. No, although mm -hmm. it could have applied to both of them. Um, but, yeah, Mike, yeah, you're absolutely I'm right on that, baby. He had, he had nothing. He was going through the, I mean, you know, he was going through the paces. He was picking punches where he had to. He'd Singles, turn them off, turn them over. So, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, everything was one-twos. And, 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 and there was no Walk passion, there was no fire. And those are some of the things that tell you that, yes, you're closer to the end than to the start. But at that point, when it, when it gets like that, it gets really dangerous. And, you, and your trainer at that point has to start identifying that and giving you other challenges, different things to do in the gym. And yeah. and what you do in the gym and you repeat in the gym, you're going to do in the fight. That's all. You can't do it any other way. You can't come in and 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 fight like Rocky Marciano and then you get into the ring and you think you're going to be Muhammad Ali. It's not going to happen. But what you do in the gym is specifically going to replay itself in the ring. All the habits. all. So you take a look at this fighter and there's enough footage of Canelo to like, you know what I mean? to stock, you know, a department store. So you can go in there and take a look at him and look at all the things he does. And you could be like, okay, these are the ways to get to him. These are the How ways to get to him. How would you afford him? You could afford him. If, if the era's a different weight-wise, you could afford him. How would you have gone about it? If I would have fought Canelo, I mean, listen, uh, there's, there's, I mean, obviously, Floyd did the blueprint, right? But but basically with someone like Canelo, you want to make sure that you're making him use his feet because when he plants, that's when he's the strongest. So if you're yeah. making him always having to move his feet, he never sets in order to punch. That's one thing that's very important with him. He punches extremely well with both hands, right? He hits hard with either hand. So what you got to have to do, as soon as you make a miss, he's slow in bringing his hands back. He's got good hand speed. He's respectable hand speed. He's got a great chin. He has all the rest of that kind of stuff. But you have to make it a reflex fight with him. If you have reflexes, that's the kind of fight you want to fight with him. And you also want to make it you want to make it a, a fast-paced fight. And so if it's a fast-paced fight, he doesn't get that chance to sit and think about what he's going to do next. He has to fight on reflex, and that's where he has a problem. He doesn't have a problem if you're going to stand there toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. He's good. He's comfortable on the inside. He's got all that stuff down. He blocks. He catches. But the reflex part of it, that's where the, that's where the issue is. That's where his weakness is or his perceived weakness. And that's where I would go if I were a fighter or if I were going to fight him. If I, if I had a fighter who was going to fight him, 
That's where I would go. I would say reflexes first. Takes a great shot, punches hard. His hand speed is, you know, it's middling. It's upper middle class. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, but reflexes, I think, is his is his uh, Achilles heel. I think um, like a vintage Michael Numb would have done a number on him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The way Mike is able to move and throw combinations so fast and step back in and out, pivot, get angles, all the rest of that kind of stuff. He get his head offline, all the rest of that kind of thing. He's he's yeah. yeah that's not that's not competitive. The old axiom in boxing that you're only as good as your last fight does seem very resonant uh, in relation to Canelo because I remember after he beat Callum Smith and you know Callum Smith was seen as a live threat and and he and he had another portion of the championship. <laughs> Canelo collected and you know he shut him out pretty much and Smith did seem to be very survival minded didn't really want to lay it on the line I don't think but um, afterwards Montel Griffin who who is given to some outrageous statements sometimes you suspect he's trying to get a rise out of his audience but he said you know Canelo may wind up as the greatest Latino fighter ever and just to bait the old school a little bit more you know the diehards as it were he said, you know, he, he he certainly never quit in the ring and he don't got 16 losses. That's Duran, right? Um, but <laughs> a lot of people would say Duran was the greatest Latino fighter in boxing history. Um, yeah, he is, but, you know, but he, he was saying Canelo might be the greatest Latino fighter ever. Whereas I wonder if Montel still feels that way. You know what? I doubt it. Particularly since Montel is very numbers and losses driven. Now he's been kind of humanised. I know he wasn't undefeated anyway, but there was something about the old loss which seemed to take a lot of that kind of some of that luster away. And I think mm -hmm. last night's fight did as well for some people. You know, obviously the Mexican yeah. fans would have been happy. That was a spectacular arena and a spectacular entrance, by the way, you know. And do you yeah. know what it made me think, Michael? What's that? Without sidetracking too much into this, mm -hmm. when I first started doing a bit of coaching, it was in 2003, I just got back from New York. I just had a, had a, a bout out in New York, came back and was looking for a gym. Mm -hmm. And um, initially I said I wanted to box for the club and... Um, because it was just down the road from where I was living. And the, the old geezer uh, was very much one of the Blue Blazer Brigade, you know, those old amateur boxing mm -hmm. officials. He told mm -hmm. me I was too old because I was 33. So I, mm -hmm. I I did end up boxing for the club. But my initial entry, because he told, told me at the gate I was too old, I said, well, I'd like to help coaching, you know, I'd like to help train the lads. And he said, oh, well, that's a different matter. We always need coaches. So mm -hmm. I joined up the next week. And the, uh, there was a very threadbare bunch of newcomers to the club. They, they didn't have anybody at the time. And at that club who had had any bouts you know they were just all raw kids and one of them was John Ryder and I picked him out the first mm. night and said he looks decent you know he could I think yeah. he could do something and then as that relationship developed over the next several months I, I used to spar a lot of rounds with John when he was 15 16 we used to go for runs with him and I used to talk to him a lot saying you know you could be up there one day you know you could be a world champion and you know trying to give a kid a dream not saying he wasn't mm -hmm. capable of of getting that in, you know independently mm -hmm. but what it showed me last night looking at that particularly looking at that stadium and the whole kind of pomp and ceremony of it all that these kids who walk into the gym from council estates when you look at a whole group of them 20 years ago one of them can be at least on that stage he's not going to be that guy because yeah. it, I don't think he was ever going to win the fight, to be honest with you. But mm -hmm. he could at least ascend to that level and make seven-figure purses. And if, and it would have blown his mind if you'd have told him that um, on one of those minibus trips, you know, yeah. uh, with the old Angel Boxing Club um, in the youth club van, that one day you'll be fighting the biggest star in the sport for seven figures. And it will yeah. just be this like, like an ancient Roman gladiatorial occasion, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. what it said to me about boxing, yeah. that you never... 
you never know who's going to ascend to something. Because um, yeah. the thing is, you're going to lose a lot of them kids who could have been there as well, aren't you? There's other kids yeah. from the same yeah. estate who might be capable of achieving the same thing, yeah. but they just didn't hang in there. Yeah, that's 100%, Ben. Um, he's obviously a kid with a lot of fortitude, hard work. You know what I mean? Um, he's for real. He's like, he's an anvil. You know what I mean? He, the, kid's, the kid's hard. And, and so he'll beat anybody who's not really about it. Anybody who's not really talented, who's not really about a fight, he's going to test that person and he's going to beat him. But when you get up to where the air is thin, when you get to that, you know, the top 10 in the world and you're talking about guys that are specifically talented at doing certain things, that's when it gets tough. And if you're not, if you, if you're not, if you can't hang with those guys, I mean, what can you do? It's really did John, Sorry, did John Ryder cover himself in more glory than Billy Joe Saunders did two year, about two years ago? To the day, um, I think Billy Joe um, more was expected of Billy Joe than Ryder, right? Yes, and um, I think Billy Joe was more competitive while he was in there, but mm -hmm. because because he was perceived by many to have quit, you know, it's a, he's a friend of mine, but that is the truth. A lot of people accuse him of quitting. Well, he had, um, he had the uh, orbital fracture, right? He got hit in the eye. He did, he did, yeah. But um, some people. Were you know the conspiracy theorists are never far from a, from a keyboard, are they? Some people <laughs> complained about the lack of transparency about that injury and his recuperation period. Oh, he, oh, you could you didn't see Billy you didn't see Billy Joe for dust for for, for several weeks, yeah. and when he when he returned, he was looking well and he was talking well and everything was fine. So he he, he sat that period out when he was convalescing from that from the operation that he had to have. So some, did know, he some have the operation though? Did he have the operation? Did he have the operation? Well, unless 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 one is to call him a liar, he had the operation. Yeah, um, you know. I mean, the thing is, I spent a lot of time defending Billy Joe at the time on the night, and then in, in the several days leading up to it, you know, how it goes. These things have a shelf life, and people were really trying to pin me down, saying, "Come on, he bottled it. He quit. You know, you've always been championing this man. You know, mm -hmm. take it on the chin. You know, um, <laughs> he, he, he bailed out. Um, yeah. And how do you know he had this? And we've not seen any X-rays, and because fighters usually provide X-rays, don't they? But all yeah. I'm saying. I spoke to him about I don't know two weeks later, and he and he was oh, might have been like might be more than that, but I called him as soon as I felt it was enough time to elapse, and he was philosophical and cheerful, and said you know he just a, said he was a little bit out of his depth. He's never boxed anybody that good before, but yeah. you know, and he said it just all went wrong, and when he as soon as he took that punch, he, he knew it was over. But but the thing is, Ryder will be seen as as an absolute hero, won't he? I mean that that is the mm -hmm. kind of energy he's getting on social media today, and Eddie Hearn said I'm so proud of. John Ryder, all the rest of it. So that will be his crowning glory and perhaps his epitaph. John John could walk away tomorrow, um, and that he would be remembered as, as somebody rather gallant, yeah. you know. Whereas yeah, because think, you know not a lot was expected of him. So for him to go the distance is a victory. You know. What yeah, I mean? for sure. You know. Um, do you um, see that now? Now Canelo, his next step, right? He he says. That he wants a rematch with Dimitri Bohol. He seems to be sincere about that, to be fair. He, he actually wants yeah. that, you know, like a, <laughs> a fighter's pride. But he says he Bivol, this is the this is the ironic thing. Bivol is almost demanding it happens at one six eight. Bivol is saying, I've already beat you a light heavyweight. Why should I give you another shot? It wasn't close. I, get, let me fight for all your super middleweight belts. I could get my juices up for that and the challenge. I can make the weight. Don't worry about me. I want all your hardware down at one six eight. That is an incentive for me. Fight you again at light heavyweight, why should I? Canelo, mm. flip side, he says, I don't want to beat him at, 
168 because people will say I drained him and he was weight weak and I want to I want to beat him at the weight that he beat me. That then I'll get more credit. Some people are cynic, cynics saying no, you just don't want to lose all your titles. You still want to get out of the as an excuse of saying, well, hey, I'm not a light heavyweight. I tried twice and I accept it now. Yeah, this one confirmed it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that that yeah. may be closer to the truth, to be honest with you. But but it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? You've got the the light heavyweight saying we want to fight super middle, and you've got the super middle saying yeah. he wants to fight light heavy. That appears yeah, to be there's a difference in the moment between them. That you is know? different. That is different. You know. Um, Wow, you can't say enough about about boxing these days. Not all of it good and not all of it bad either. But um Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Am I really interested in that fight? No, I'm not. If the, you know, last night I didn't purchase it. I didn't purchase the... Because uh, no, well, it was pay-per-view. It was pay-per-view where you were. What was Exactly, it? yeah. Yeah. It wasn't I, in it wasn't in England. It was just Dazone subscribers, I believe, got it. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Dazone subscriber here over here in the states, but they still made us pay for it. Yeah. And, and I was and I was just like, no, nah, I'm not paying for this because I know exactly what's going to happen. I I don't I didn't see any uh, the lure that there was nothing shining there that made me say, okay, I'm just going to go and watch you know uh, Canelo spar without a head guard in front of a billion people. And they had a nice yeah. opening and all of that kind of stuff. Now we get to the point where, you know, there's a b-ball match back on, you know, back on the table. And whether it's 68, whether it's 75, I don't know if it really matters. I don't know if I, I don't know if I necessarily want to see it because I don't think, I really don't think Canelo's going to do anything different. I don't think. Do you know can. what though? Everybody says loads of people because I'm always, I'm always wary of overly popular narratives, and I know you absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Um, but loads of people saying, "Oh, Bivol beats him," you know, super middle or like heavy, beats him no matter what way. But they don't know that. Listen, that guy has never made one six eight in his pro career. So, mm-hmm. and and he's not. I mean, I'm not saying he's a huge. I think in order for him to say that, Ben, in order for him to make a claim at one sixty eight, he must not really be a true one seventy five. He must be like somewhere already. Like when he trains, he's probably and he doesn't like suck everything out of himself. He's probably like down to like one seventy one by the time he comes. By the time it maybe, really maybe so, maybe so. But the thing is, we don't know how it'll affect him, do we? So I, I wouldn't yeah. be too, I wouldn't but, be but too sure that it'll be the exactly identical fight yeah. on one six eight. To be honest with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't see the fight being any better for uh, for Canelo. I, I just I don't think he's going to do the work he has to do in order to, you know, to to keep up with Bivol, make it different. I think Bivol now understands what it takes to beat Canelo, and I think it can only be worse for Canelo. Actually, Canelo yeah. Alvarez, I think it's only going to be worse. He's going to he's going to because now the kid has confidence. He knows what works, and he and before where he was a little bit. Uh, uh, apprehensive about punching and apprehensive about covering up and apprehensive about following up with more shots. 
Now he knows, he's felt it. He's felt his power. He's felt his energy. He's felt, he knows where, where Canelo is defensively. When you get in the ring with a person, you know their heart. You know their mind. You know everything about them. By the time you walk out that ring, you're like, okay, I know that guy better than better than the dude's mom and dad. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And, and that's yeah. the God's honest truth. When you step out the ring, you know that individual on a level. Nobody else knows him. And he found out, he, he found Canelo's heart. He found his mind. He found his, his, his power, his physicality, and his weaknesses. He understands where it is now in levels that even his trainers don't. And this kid's smart. And when he comes back in the ring with him, he's going to take, take it from probably like the 12th round is going to be like of the last fight is going to be like the first round of this one. And how does Canelo step up and face that challenge? This kid's got like endless energy. And he and he's got he's got you know not just because he's young but just the way in which he fights as well his style everything about him is a difficult proposition for Canelo. Yeah, and I suppose you could forgive Canelo for not wanting to go there again. So I suppose he yeah. deserves a degree of credit that for the fact that he does seem to be focused on that and he does seem to be determined to to, to get an opportunity to to see if he can do a little better. You know, so because yeah. people are still divided on Canelo, aren't they? Some people say he's the pampered sacred cash cow. The drugs cheat, you know, and the the, the A side kind of manipulator, mm -hmm. and other people say, no, you know what? He's a relative warrior for for this day and age. You know, admittedly, we we don't have the same kind of standards yeah, as, we used to have. But yeah, as an a quick aside, Ben, it's very interesting how how they um they call uh, Nigel Benson. They call him a drug cheat, but they don't. I mean, I guess some people do with Canelo, but a great majority of them don't. And a lot of people, you know, give um, Canelo the benefit of the doubt, I guess maybe because of all the you know, fights he's taken off. I think Canelo got a lot of stick for quite a few years because the drug test was first in 2018, wasn't it? The, the positive clenbuterol uh, test. Mm -hmm. He got called Clenello. People kept talking about the roids and he's due to the gills and this, that and the other. And a lot of people have called Canelo a drug cheat. And I know some people are hardliners who still refuse to recognise him as a great fighter, regardless of his, you know, mm -hmm. CV, resume, mm -hmm. because because of that, because of that stain. Um, but but it hasn't stopped him earning hideous amounts of money, oh, and it yeah. hasn't stopped him being being absolutely adored in his country and fated in the United States. Mm -hmm. And he's got plenty of fans over here. Even Natalie in the comments there, she just said, I love Canelo, you know, so it hasn't held him back, has it? I mean, some of the hardcore yeah. always make these wry yeah. jokes and these puns. Yeah. But, um, and I suppose that all Ben has got to do is win. All Ben's got to do is win, and then he'll have his supporters as well. I think you're right. I mean, the thing is with Conor Ben, he, he's backtracked a bit recently because I, I think it's occurred to him that he's not a huge deal outside of this country, which uh, he yeah. should have known that anyway. But sometimes you can lose your perspective, can't you? Because mm -hmm. you're not outside looking in. And yeah. you can you can get a little bit the modern violence is guessed, you know, with your particular mm -hmm. situation. I think he's come to realise on sober reflection that he doesn't really mean anything outside of the UK. That is where mm -hmm. his potential superstar status is. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he he said to Radio Rahim in an interview for Seconds Out this week, he said, um, "Me saying I, I I'm never even I'm never fighting the UK again." He said, "I take that back." He said, "I was angry at the time." But I do realise I've got a lot of fans and supporters over over here over in England, and I don't want to I don't want to penalise them just for a, for a very loud minority, is the way he chose to put it, a vocal minority, mm -hmm. and the people slamming him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. I think he's underestimating the sheer amount of, of ill feeling towards him at, at this particular point in time. But mm -hmm. you're right in a way. There is 
there's something else going on. Right, whatever the rights or wrongs of that situation are, Michael, there is mm -hmm. something else going on with Conor Ben. There's a resentment of him to begin with. And I think it's a silver spoon thing. I think in boxing, we intrinsically dislike, you know, most fighters and champions come from the streets. They come from humble beginnings. It, it, it's sociologically, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's self-evident. But whenever we get a second generation sensation like Conor Ben, Mm -hmm. Or even a Marvis Fraser, you know, back in the day. I think we kind of there's a, there's a collectively sometimes we want them to fail, or we or we, we expect them to prove themselves. To, you know, when they when when it's claimed that they've got privilege and silver spoon, they always counter. No, it's worse for me because there's more pressure on me and there's more expectations. There's an element of truth in that. But I think with Conor Ben and the kind of entitled attitude he was getting and the kind of churlish arrogance he was beginning to exhibit, that coupled with the silver spoon syndrome of him being Nigel Ben's son. I think yeah. people actually don't take much to really rebel against that. And, and, and there's a big backlash. That's why. I, 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 I 100%. I know where you're coming from. I do have a I do have a slight issue with the Marvis Fraser analogy, only because Marvis Fraser was an exceptional amateur. He was an exceptional amateur boxer. And he, so he paid his dues there. You're right. You're right. He, he, nearly, he should have been an Olympian. Really, he just, should have been an Olympian, absolutely right. And um, and then and then he, and then as a professional, he fought his way up. And then he, you know, I mean, look, you're fighting Larry Holmes and Mike Tyson. Yeah, he shouldn't <laughs> have been thrown in. He shouldn't have been thrown in with Larry Holmes when he was. Like you yes. say, he fought his way up, and he had some good wins over the likes yeah. of James Broad and an aging Joe yes. Bugner. But he wasn't yeah. ready for Larry Holmes. The WBC. Yes as you will remember, wouldn't sanction it. The WBC stripped Larry of the title rather than sanction it. I suspect yeah. there were other problems going on in the background, but that's mm -hmm. why some people don't count that as a legitimate World Heavyweight Championship defence by Larry, because technically mm -hmm. it wasn't sanctioned by anybody, but because mm -hmm. the IBF kind of recognised him shortly after that. But um, mm -hmm. I consider it a, a defence for, for other reasons, because he was the man and that is that. But, um, yeah. but, you know, he wasn't ready for it. And it was funny because I remember reading at the time about Joe Fraser was clearly an advocate of the, the school of tough love. And he didn't want to be seen as being overly sentimental or too soft towards yeah. his own son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when when somebody from whatever cable network showed the fight, the massacre that it was, and you'll remember Larry Holmes was holding him with one hand, hitting him with the other, then calling the ref in, and then maybe yeah. throwing an uppercut, and then saying, come on, haven't you seen enough of this yet? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Let, let, the, let the kid get out of here. Yeah. But uh, an interviewer asked Joe Fraser, how did it feel to see your own flesh and blood being pummeled like that? And supposedly Joe replied, nothing to me. I didn't take no shots. <laughs> like, like, he's, like he didn't care, you know, and why should he? Yeah. You know, because it's yeah. not his problem kind of thing, which, yeah. Uh, you know what I heard as well? I heard from a Philly gym rat that Marvis was a great boxer, a good mover, slick fighter. Yes. And if he, Joe, wasn't, he, he, he said Joe ruined him. By, he, he said Joe ruined him by trying to turn him into smoking Joe Fraser too. Exactly. So that's what ruined him. Well, he was one, one yeah. he was more a cruiserweight light heavyweight cruiserweight than he was a heavyweight. And, uh, you know, and and uh, I'm sure, listen, Joe is mythical. Like, he's he's, in, he's an incredible all-time great fighter as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's very little wrong that that man's done uh, in the ring that I've seen. But, but with his son, he had levels of expectancies, and fathers have that with their sons, haven't been a, you know, the yeah. son of a father who boxed myself, and 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 yeah. so they they don't always understand uh, the dynamics, the father son dynamic of of training. Like you can't come home and listen to that same voice you heard in the gym beating you up 
in the house beating you up and and you have to you have to let you have to let your your son make decisions that's going to allow him to to grow and benefit you make mistakes on your own yeah but you know what i mean that's that's part of the See, way that's, that's solidifying yourself to manhood that's what mike ayala always said you know obviously I, I spent a lot of time with mike talking about his personal history you know yeah. in family life and boxing life mm -hmm. and he said he was the renegade uh, ayala who who would defy the old man's word and he'd have mm -hmm. these hiatus periods where he wasn't yeah. talking to him for 18 months yeah. and he was getting managed by dennis rapaport instead yeah. and trained by victor vale yeah. And he said that really, he said, I love my dad, you know, more than anything. He said, but the thing was, he said, I wanted to be a man and make my own decisions and make yeah. my own mistakes without yes. his authority suffocating yeah. me. And, yeah. and it seemed like Mike was the only one who really, who really questioned it, you know, because. And, and um, that's the, yeah. And, th and that's the incredible thing about it, because I, th I also think. Like with Mike, that was an extremely brave thing to do because in order to, you know, that's the patriarch, that's that's the king of the house. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And from from when you were born up until until now, that's who you listen to. That's the voice of uh, of knowledge, of love, of all the rest of that kind of stuff. Now, somebody like Marvin, uh, Marvis didn't, that wasn't his way of doing it. That wasn't his personality. So he he listened to oh. everything his father said, and and I was very much the same way. Everything that he said was sacred, and everything that he said I did. And and like and in retrospect, you look back and you're like, if you would have questioned that, and if you would have stood up and questioned it, you in not only yes, you may have faced conflict, but you would have come out of that conflict stronger instead of just doing it the way he wanted you to do. If you if you would if you would fought that urge or that that command he's giving you to do it one you'd find out for yourself whether it was the right or wrong thing to do and you would make yourself stronger only because of it yeah because yeah. his fathers in those days were very much about you know if you're not listening to me you're not going anywhere i did it before i know and i'm the only one who knows and i'm you know i'm i'm that one i'm i'm the um you know your holy grail and and that's the kind of thing they want from you that the control issue and and that's it, it's hurt so many fighters it's hurt, how do you, you know, feel about a guy like enzo calzaghi who trained his own son joe like that but enzo had never been in the ring very yeah, strong I, character very driven never boxed yeah you know I'd, i've never i've never seen them together of course in training so i don't understand the dynamic they may have a very good look innately as human beings we know that boxing is about this fist and nothing else fits hits that face so anything that's remotely even slightly different from the normal way to do it you know we have the stand-up conventional boxes which you were talking about before the conventional boxes they throw the left they throw the right uh when you have a fighter that's not so conventional that didn't learn the conventional way guess who's the harder guy to fight the guy who's yeah. unpredictable, who's the it's unconventional this, guy, is much harder to fight than the conventional this, guy. You this know, goes back. The left and the right hand's predictable. This goes so, back to that whole so. Yeah, so so that's the that's the thing about Kazagi. You're fighting something you've never seen before, and you're fighting somebody whose timing is different. Yeah, he had speed. Yeah, he took a great punch. Yeah, his stamina was incredible. But you put that together with the unpredictability of his punches and where they're coming from. And that's a whole issue right there. And it's the same thing with Muhammad Ali. When Muhammad Ali was coming up, everybody fought like, you know, kind of like flat-footed, like, you know, Joe Lewis was flat-footed. A lot of them was flat-footed. You know, a lot of fighters were flat-footed, so they were very, very predictable in their way. Now, Floyd Patterson, he was a lighter fighter, 
than the other guys. He wasn't as big as the other heavyweights, but he was different. And that allowed him to win the world heavyweight title, even though he weighed what, not 192 or, you know what I mean? And he would thump guys considerably bigger just because of his, his speed and his unpredictability and his defense. And he's coming at you from different angles. The same thing with Muhammad Ali did the same thing. He was, how do you prepare for something like that? But guess what? The fist still hurts when it hits you in the face, right? So that's oh, the same thing. That's, that's that's kind of what I'm saying with all with you know you got you got to not be predictable. That's one of the strongest uh, weapons you can have in boxing. Yeah, about 15 minutes back there, I was going to say um, it almost goes back to that Corey old cliche that that you um, pick up on when people say you know the old one when people who people who try to seem more knowledgeable than they than they are. So yeah, but Ali had technical shortcomings actually, or Ali wasn't that technically good, or Ali did made a lot of mistakes. You see, because I know because I've been following boxing for about six and a half years, and you know, and 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 if you listen to them, you know, Ali would have been considerably, you know, the lesser fighter than Tony Simpson by their logic. You know, and no no disrespect to Tony Simpson, who was a fine fighter, by the way. But you see, I'll give you an example. I think I think I've told you this before. There was one trainer in the the old TKO gym who kind of ran the gaff, who was typical old, typical, you know, classic um, Anglo-Saxon cockney boxing trainer mm-hmm. who believed in certain fundamentals and don't bounce, son, and, you know, do this, do that, don't do that. Yeah. Um, and um, he said, oh, he didn't write Ali. I know it sounds ludicrous to say that. He said he wasn't interested in Ali and didn't really like Ali and wasn't okay. found the fight boring. And that was that was all you get out of him. You know, it's not my cup of tea. Whereas Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Tibbs was very much from that same kind of scrap metal dealer culture, uh-huh. scrap metal dealers and gangsters and whatnot. Uh-huh. He was completely the opposite. He he would watch the – one thing he found – I introduced him pretty much to the wonder of the iPad and the smartphone because I uh-huh. explained to him it had this rich you know, catalogue of YouTube files and you could kind of watch almost any fight you ever wanted to. And he was like, seriously, you'll watch Ali Cleveland Williams. So we watched that and he was showing it to a young fighter in the gym called George Jupp and he said, you ever seen anything like that, George? When Ali back pedals and lands four hooks in a row, then a right hand does an Ali shuffle, then throws a double jab and a right hand to the body, then comes back upstairs, yeah. and all the rest of it. He said, Have you ever seen anything like that, George? Yeah. So a great trainer understood it. A guy who has yeah. merely been described as a good trainer didn't get it, didn't understand it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 what I'm all about. It's like if you can't predict what a man's gonna do, you're gonna have a hard time defending against it. And and that's part of what I'm saying yeah. about you know to going full circle back to John Ryder and Canelo as well. It's like they, now you get to the point where you're just predictable, and when you get into predictability, that's kind of like what sparring is. It's predictable. It's like it's safe. You know what I mean? Even though it doesn't look. I mean, look, look fists hurt and you bleed and you break nose, all the rest of that kind of stuff. But yeah, predictability in the way in which they were fighting. That you know that doesn't enthuse me and that's what canela has to get out of if he wants to do anything at all remotely uh effective with bevo not that he can i mean i'm sure he can listen what how old is he 35 36 who canelo yeah he's 32 michael he's only 32 32. but he's been around forever yeah he's been around forever Yeah, yeah, he's been around forever. No, he's he, it's it's absolutely a, it's a point of uh, bringing new challenges his way and getting out of his old way. Because you know, listen, every time as soon as you fight, as soon as you're on national TV, people are adapting to you. They, they look at you. Everyone in your division looks and says, "Okay, I see that. I see that. I see that." And all of a sudden, 
they're adapting to you. Things that used to work at the at a at a, at a lower level is not going to work in a higher level. Not only because you're fighting more talented individuals, but because that talented talented individual knows what your instincts are. If you have a good trainer, if you have a great trainer, but if you have a good trainer, that's exactly what they do. They they spend their time in the gym getting you ready to take advantage of the things that your opponent does. I mean, I mean, look at um, the big heavyweight fight coming up, the one we want to talk about, um, Wilder and, and uh, Anthony Joshua. Joshua. I mean, the only thing these guys, their trainers should be doing is getting them ready specifically for that fight, not teaching them any, just things that are going to work, just habits that are going to work against this individual style. That's the only thing you should be doing right now. Not are you going to take a warm up fight? Are See, you going to? That's interesting. Yeah, you don't believe that, do you? Everybody. This yeah. is where I always come to you for anti boxing logic, you know, or, or anti every man logic at least, because everybody, the world and his brother are saying, yeah, needs to get out. He can't just go into yeah. a fight, you know, monstrous punch like Wilder in December, having been inactive since mm. since April. He's got to get out in the summer. And everybody, when it was confirmed that he was actually interested in going down that route, that's what uh, Derek James wants. That's what Andy Joshua wants. That's what Eddie Hearn wants. Everybody mm. was saying, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, makes sense. You were the only person who said, no, all he needs to be in, in, the, in the gym, a drill, drill, drill. Yes. You're saying, yes. never mind a warm-up fight. Get Start working yeah. on that for that fight now, yeah. forget about yeah. the distraction of someone in between and start exactly. concentrating on fighting that bronze bomber in December. Exactly. That's you, right? Yeah, yeah. because the things that you have to... Listen, getting ready for the bronze bomber is serious work. Everybody knows he's dangerous and he's going to only have to half clip you to get your legs wobbling. You know what I mean? Yeah. He won't even have to hit you with that full shot dead on. He doesn't have to detonate a punch on your jaw to knock you out. He'll graze you on the ear and, and part of your head and, and you're going to yeah. start, you'll feel it. So that's, he has to look at Wilder and say, how am I going to take, how am I going to detonate this bomb without getting blown up myself? You know what I mean? It's like bomb, the bomb squad for sure. You have to take apart this bomb. How do you do that? These are the things you must do in order to avoid the right hand, but don't think he's not working on his left. And, you, and you've I, done that. You've done, you've kind of done that when you were preparing for Tommy Hearns. That's not, that's really not a bad analogy or a bad parallel. Yeah. You're getting ready for a murderous right-hand puncher, tall, yes. you know, wiry guy. And you're and you're not wanting to get caught with that or on the end of the power while still not regarding yeah. the fact that he might be able to put you on quit straight with a left hook as well. Exactly, exactly, and, and you know, um, uh, rightfully so. Just because he throws a right hand, it doesn't mean yeah, it doesn't mean he can't you know whip you with that left hook and that jab. And I think a lot of things. I think he's he's gone underground, Wilder, and I think we're going to come out and we're going to see somebody uh, at least in, in terms of the way he executes a little bit more advanced than he was because he's doing exactly that. He's not taking any warm-up fights. You know what he's doing? He's sitting in the gym every single day. He's learning to whip that right hand and bring it back. He's learning to – I bet you he's learning to move his head as well. Because <laughs> that, that's You think he's doing um, good work with Malik Scott? You think that's a good dynamic, good chemistry there? You know, I don't know – I've seen Malik Scott. I've seen him a couple of times, and he's, he was a good fighter. And and you know what he's a, he's a fighter who understands. I mean, I think I, I've seen some of the like the pad drills he's been doing with them, and some of my agree with some of my don't. I don't like the, when they turn that left hand over like this and throw the hook like with the pinky finger. I, I think that's garbage. But um, but he has him using it. 
You know what I mean? And he hasn't doing things that he hasn't been doing before. So the only thing that's going to be is more complexity. It's going to be more complex. It's going to be a lot more for Anthony Joshua to figure out. And coming off Joshua's last fight where he looked, to me, he looked very apprehensive. He he, yeah. he looked uh, he, he didn't look confident. He didn't he didn't step on the gas. He just right here. He flatlined again right here. He didn't have that he, he didn't have that fire that you got to have. Maybe he had it before. I'm not quite sure, but but he's looking to. Um, I, I think he's trying to use his power, and and they're teaching him to just keep a fighter in check. You know what I mean? Not not actually like work to get him out of the ring because if he works to get him out to knock him out, then he's vulnerable himself. So they're not doing that. What they're doing is they're going to like Roy would do it and Floyd would do it. They're going to hit you hard enough one time to get you in check. And then once they get you in check, they're going to continue to just tap, tap, tap and win the fight. As soon as you start bringing a little bit too much heat, bam, they're going to crack you again. And, and, and that way they're kind of like nursing a fight. You know what I mean? They're not fighting all the way through. They're not fighting with the intent of knocking you out. They're fighting with the intent of beating you over 12. And if you get out of line and you start coming at me too hard, bang, I'm going to crack you and you're going to get buzzed. You're going to get back in line and you're going to do exactly what I want you to do. And you're going to follow the script, basically. That's what Joshua is doing. That's That's not what Wilder's doing. Or what Wilder's doing, just trying to be more effective at, at creating, yeah. you know, rubble yeah. in his feet yeah. this time. And I was, before this, before this fight was made, or a couple of years ago, I was always an Anthony Joshua. In terms of Joshua versus Wilder, before, when Joshua would not hesitate to pull a trigger, 100%. I, I thought he would, he would knock Wilder out. And he'd have him out within two, three rounds. And yeah. you would have to anyway because you have him around too long. He's dangerous. But now at the shoes on the other foot, um, I think Anthony Joshua psychologically has changed. And I think uh, I think his his uh, trainer's methodology has changed him as well or is changing him. Yeah, I think it is. Obviously, everybody alludes to the Ruiz defeat and the ghosts that he nursed from that. Some people, I think Frank Lotierzo always says, that it was actually the Klitschko fight that changed his mindset as a fighter. You know, even a fight you won, a bit like the Camacho-Rosario that people always yeah. cite, that, that was the thing that changed the whole psyche of the Macho Man, in-ring psyche. Um, yeah, yeah, think- no, yeah, no, Ben. I mean, you're, you're right. I hear what you're saying, but I, I, one of the greatest things you can do as a fighter is get your ass up from the ground and knock the other guy out. Oh, man, yeah. that's just so empowering. No, I mean, you taste the canvas and you get up and you drop that dude and you end up winning. That's like, yo, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people and people even give you more energy than if you just went in and knocked the guy out. Yeah. You yeah. I, 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 mean? think it's true, but I, I think it was the Klitschko fight that that, um, that Frank was suggesting changed his kind of raise on debts and his in, inside the ring. If you look at the Joseph Parker fight, which came after that, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a degree of support for that based on that logic, I suppose. Certainly mm-hmm. the Ruiz fight has sort of damaged his confidence in a way. You will remember, before he went in the ring against Ruiz, something strange was going down. There was something very odd happening that night. Some people say that he had a breakdown of sorts. I know his breakdown in the gym before the fight started. I, I don't know if you... Yeah, and because supposedly, right, this is all quite interesting. And it was... Um, I don't know how much it was addressed. There's a documentary about it called... the it was Something called like the, the Upset or something like that. Or the night of the upset, and supposedly the, the, the narrative was that 
that Joshua's dad was saying to Eddie Hearn he shouldn't be going out there or he shouldn't be fighting. Perhaps it went more. Perhaps that that, that story extended yeah, yeah. further back than, than the night. And then if you look at Joshua's dad on the night, he's shouting at Eddie Hearn in the ring in a kind of "I told you so" you know kind yeah. of manner. But mm -hmm. you also might recall when Joshua had been decked in the I think it was the third round a couple of times he was decked, wasn't he? He was saying to Rob McCrack in the corner, "Why do I feel like this? Like, what should I do? And why do I feel like this?" That was what he was saying, you know. When he said, why do I feel like this? Was he saying emotionally or is he saying? Yeah, I, I think physically probably, and physically more likely, you know. Perhaps he felt strange in some way, you know. One second, I'm making sure, just making sure I've got some charge in this because this can actually go. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he definitely said, why do I feel like this? Almost like he felt in some strange dreamlike state, maybe, you know, he was, it, it was, it was like he wasn't really there, you know, so. I don't um, know what went on that particular night, but something yeah. was off with Joshua from the start. Although, you know... You, you know what? Well, when, when, he got, when he got hit, uh, well, that was before he got dropped, he was saying that? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, because... No, he'd already been dropped, you know, because basically he he, he knocked Ruiz over, didn't he? With a, with a, with yeah. A, I think like a right hand or something. Yeah. Then Ruiz, they exchanged and Ruiz got up and moved his head and got and, and then managed to counter with a left hook and, and then stuck it on him and went and went for broke, didn't he? Yeah. And put yeah. Joshua over. Then he put yeah. Joshua over again. So there yeah. was three knocks in the third round. I yeah. think it was when he went back to the corner. He was saying, why do I feel like this? You know. Okay, um, so so here's exactly what happened. He got hit. Like uh, when you get hit behind the ear, that holds a lot of your balance right there. And he got hit with that yeah. hook, I believe, behind the ear off the top of the head. There are... There, there, if you catch it on the temple, get it behind the ear, and you get it off the top of your head, those yeah. shots, um, I wouldn't say discombobulate you, but they take your balance away better than more yeah. than anything else than getting hit on the chin. And and maybe that he's never felt that the same way before, but punches just every punch feels different. <clears throat> Nothing feels the same when you get hit. It's it's um you can you can never feel this like you. You would never identify and say that felt like this punch I got with, with before. Every single punch feels like its own experience in detonation. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like in, in eradication of your brain cells. This is just that's just the way, that's just the way it is. It just feels like a different experience. And and so the fact that it's happening against this kid who it's not supposed to happen against. I mean, come on, this is his crowning. This is Joshua's in Madison Square Garden. He's got all of Madison Avenue, like all of the, the big corporate people there. He's got the whole world there to see him win and win, win this fight over this, you know, short pudgy kid who's, you know who what I mean? Who came in at chance. Sorry? It was a late sub who came in at late notice as well. He was yeah. a late sub. I mean, if there isn't a, a rocky story, <laughs> you know what I mean? The last, this is the last, 30, and I can't think of a 30-year Iraqi story better than this in the last 30 years. It's crazy. I, exactly. And that was very much the kind of message of the documentary. It was a rocky story, you know. And then I know Ruiz was deceptively good and, and, he, and he can fight. 
Um, yeah, you can. But, but some people really jumped on Ruby's bandwagon at that point. Some of my friends even were like, you know, like he was the second in coming to Joe Fraser or something like that. And I think they were just looking for a good fighter to root for, you know, disillusion with, with, with the likes of Joshua, Klitschko, Fury. And I thought he, he thought he might be this unlikely hero. But obviously Ruiz, despite his, you know, his, his decent ability, was not up for that role. I mean, he, it was that classic thing of you get success and you take your eye off the ball. You know, he was he was partying. He had, he had $7 million or whatever. Whatever you end up getting after they take it all from yeah. you. Well, he had whatever. the ability, right? He obviously had ability. He had great ability. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it didn't... Re- I don't know. He, he just didn't... Uh, he didn't take advantage of the opportunities he had, and 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 a lot of times I know I know a lot of people maybe put a lot they put a lot of stock into a fighter's body, but when when you um, I don't know when your body reflects what you're feeling on the inside. If you're a fighter, your body should look like a warrior's. You know what I mean? Because you're making the necessary sacrifices, and I say the same thing about Tyson Fury as well. Why isn't his? He should like you know what I mean. He shouldn't have like the the dad bod, you know, around yeah. this section. Uh, uh, Tyson Fury, you know what I mean? Like your body should reflect what you do. Really yeah, it's it weird, isn't it? My my dad always had a big problem with that. He'd see heavyweights in the gym, even like British heavyweight champion Uroy Curry, and he'd be like, "Why doesn't someone get hold of him and say, take that flab and turn it into a steel wall?" He said, yeah. he said, don't tell me you can't do it because you yeah. can do it. So, you know, yes. He had very yes. little tolerance. I mean, he'd have hated the physique of Andy Ruiz if he was still alive yes. to see it. He, he would have had no truck with that. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just yeah. not, it wasn't tenable as far as he was concerned. Yeah. And anyone who talked about endomorphic body types or this or that yeah. or, you know, yeah. thyroid problems, you know, glandular problems, he'd be like, yeah, rubbish, get running. That was his, <laughs> that was his solution for most things, you know? But, um, but yeah, but and Andy Ruiz, of course, you know, by way of kind of winding down, Fury, Bob Aramis said Fury looks like fighting Zilate Zhang next time out. The the what the uh, Andy Ruiz fight is still an option for Fury apparently, but the Zhang fight looks the more likely of the two. And Aram said he's had some very interesting conversations with the people in Saudi Arabia about the double header of uh, Fury Usyk and Joshua Wilder all on the same night in December. He's confirmed that those talks are ongoing and he said that they're interesting. He hasn't rubbished them, which he often does. You know, Bob often shoots it out of the water before it gets started, doesn't it? You know, when, when Owen is saying something's looking promising, he said, bullshit, you know, my ass. You know, that, that's not happening at all and we, we haven't even spoke to those people. Bob says interesting talks have been happening and he thinks Fury versus Zeng will be most likely for the summer. You know, I will say now, I'll stick my neck out, Fury will beat Zeng hands down with one hand behind his back. You oh. are... Not necessarily think so. Any more exhaustive conversation could be for another show, but you can register your disagreement at least. Yeah, I, I just register it right there. Where is it? Hold on. I'm trying yeah, to find yeah. the button. I can't find that. Button. You oh, can give me stars as well. See if there's an option to give me stars for this broadcast, just you know, just to give something but no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Listen, yeah, we, we, we can we can monetize all of this for both of us, and there's great plans for it, I assure you of that. The stars, like I say, you can give me stars for any lives I do, including this one. And how this do you do that? Like, you, I just, I don't even see where you click on it. Oh, the, in, what, seven, can you, you see? You know what? When I'm live on my own on Facebook, you should be able to see it if you tuned in. And it, I believe it says give Ben Doughty stars if you want to, to help encourage him 
I think the last thing people should do is encourage me, to be honest with you, personally. Yes, sir. I can say that. I, I, have, I have a box of Lucky Charms over there. I'll, I'll absolutely. There's some stars yeah. in that box. I'll send them your way. Uh, yeah, you get, lucky, cool. you get lucky charms in 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 England. What the candy? Oh no, no, lucky charms. They're magically delicious. It's cereal, frosted lucky. Charms. Oh yeah, Magic. yeah. I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe we do get them. But I've lived in America and I remember them. Oh, okay. uh, I remember Fruit Loops. That was another one. Fruit Loops, Fruit Loops was yeah. very frosted much an American thing. Yeah, well, we call them frosties. We do have, we do have those with the tiger kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Represents the brand, yeah. We we definitely have frosties, but we didn't. You call them frosted flakes. We we just call them frosties. So you know. Yeah. Um, and then, then of course, corn flakes. I think did cornflakes originate in England or was it in the states? I'm pretty sure we invented it, like everything else yeah. that was worthwhile. You know. I mean, I know you're not an American <laughs> as such. You're a Brit anyway, so you know, that glory is reflected no, on hey, you. Hey, I remember having. Well, before I had cornflakes, I had porridge. So there was the porridge first. Then came the cornflakes, and then bobbing for apples, and you know all the rest of it. So just, um, just in closing, then finally, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would would like to look like you at your age. Um, I can't seem to get the ten, no matter how hard I train. But um, what would be a typical breakfast for Michael Elijah? Uh, what did I have this morning? Yeesh, I, I forget already. The wife made something. Oh, eggs. On, <laughs> wife, the wife. She doesn't like the fact that I call her my wife. Sorry. No, you said the wife. Oh, I said the, <laughs> the wife. You objectified. Oh, my wife. Yeah, my wife. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So where was I now? I'm. I'm wondering if I'm going to get eggs. dinner now. Do you have you eggs, yeah, Exactly. This has opened up a can of worms. Maybe literally. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, this she made bacon and eggs and uh, I had it on a, on toast. Yeah, bacon eggs on toast. So nothing special. So the you, the secret of you looking so resplendent and rippled is nothing special. to do with that. Yeah. So, 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 so in terms of well, what I do, Ben, more than anything, I I, I like to. Um, I haven't been so good the last couple of years with COVID and everything, but you you really have to put out. What you put in, the fuel you put in, you have to you have to use it. Otherwise, it stays in you and it gets heavy and it starts. You know what I mean? Doing things yeah, to yeah. your body. So so I so I kind of I have I'm very balanced that way. And it's not I don't, it's not on purpose either. When I was a fighter, my father would always struggle for me to eat. I would I'm not I'm just not naturally a big eater. And so, okay. you know, that being what it is, it kind of very it it helped me once I um, stopped fighting because I, I wasn't. I, I would fall asleep at the dinner table eating. I would get so bored. I, I just, it just wasn't something I oh, did. Th that's kind of cool. So you, you were never going to be like a Roberta Duran or Ricky Hatton suffering from gluttony yeah. and yeah. binges, food binges in between fights. You know, so you, you were blessed yeah. in that sense that you, yeah. I guess yeah. you don't actually find it that interesting, and you, you eat for fuel. And that's that. Yeah, I mean, I love food as much as anybody, but uh, you know, if I'm sitting at that table in one spot too long, if I do, if I sit and watch a movie, I'll fall asleep. Never mind if I'm sitting eating at the table, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so it's, yeah, but you know, I love food. Don't get me wrong, and the wife's a great cook, but <laughs> oh, we cut off.
Hey, so I don't know if we're still. I don't know if we're still live at this point. I said Michael's not there. Um, there was a little technical glitch there. If anybody wants to let me know they're still in the house, um, I'm going to close in anyway. To be honest with you, not our most professional episode this one uh, for various reasons. We did have to hope to bring you. We did hope to bring you the Hiltons, and then later on it was supposed to be um, Cheers, Paul. It was supposed to be Aaron Barclay. In the end. Um, that didn't come together either, so it was just me and the silk tonight. I hope you've enjoyed it. The silk seems like he's gone as well. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it anyway, Paul. What happened there was um, phone just went dead. I do this on the phone. I don't think it was charging properly. You know when a charger stops um, working properly, and I have no way of knowing whether it was working while I was while the broadcast was live. So um, silk looks like he's gone anyway. So listen, guys. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with another sensational podcast, talking boxing as ever, with or without guests. We hope you enjoyed it. Be lucky. Keep punching. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.